Well, this past summer, our family uh, took a trip uh, to uh, spend a few days at a sheep ranch uh, just north of Kamloops in a small town called Vavenby, BC. And over the few days we spent there with an amazing, uh, amazing family, uh, of, a family of ranchers that care for hundreds and hundreds of sheep, among many other livestock. And it was fun to see how these ranchers just live their lives and the, the hard work and effort they put, to, put in to, to care for these animals and the farm and all that's in their care. But the highlight for me was on the very last day of our trip. The sheep had spent a, a number of days grazing in a, one particular pasture, and it was time for them to relocate to, a, to another field to enjoy the, the good feed of a, another pasture. And so the shepherd Joseph invited us to, to join him as he relocated this large group of hundreds of hundreds of sheep from one field to another. And as we started uh, approaching down to where the, the field to where the, the sheep were, it was amazing to see all of these sheep kind of come to attention as Joseph's presence got closer and closer. They were keenly aware of the presence of their shepherd. And Joseph made his way kind of in the middle of the crowd of all of these sheep, and he began to, to gently, by the sound of his voice, lead them forward to this other field with the help of some sheepdogs. And the whole while he was walking with his flock, his eyes were out, kind of scanning, almost inspecting each individual sheep, almost watching it to make sure that they were clean, healthy, and, and well-kept. And his eyes came across one particular sheep that seemed to be struggling with the, compared to the rest. And he immediately brought the entire flock to a halt, and he, he grabbed this sheep, and with a little bit of a struggle, held it down, and he realized that the sheep had a bit of a wound on, the, on its back. And apparently this is a quite common thing for sheep. They sometimes get wounds, and if left untreated, it'll get infected, and the sheep will, will die. And to notice a, a wound in the, in the middle of a, of a crowded uh, flock like this is, is pretty hard to do. But it requires the, the watchful eye of a shepherd who's caring for his sheep well. And sure enough, Joseph, with his supplies in hand, began to, to tend to the wound of this sheep. And after a few minutes, it was up on its feet, joined the rest of the flock, and they carried on to the pasture. Now, as I think back to that experience, I can't help but realize that that sheep probably had no idea of the predicament it was in. It had no idea that if left untreated, this wound would have eventually ended its life. And it equally had no idea of the great gift Joseph was offering it by caring for it, tending to it, and nurturing it back to health. In the scriptures, Christ himself is described as a, as a shepherd, one who, who leads us, one who walks with us, one who desires to care for us, and one who desires to offer us the, the great gift of life. If you have a, a Bible, I invite you to turn to the, the book of John, chapter 10. If not, it'll come up on the screen behind me. In John chapter 10, here's what, what Jesus said about himself. Before that, beginning, sorry, beginning in verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he says about himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. 
Well, if you're just joining us, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called I Am, where each week we've been exploring the different statements that Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. We've explored how Jesus declares himself as being the, the bread of life, the light of the world, as being the door, and today as being the, the good shepherd. And each of these statements reveals uh, to the world and to the, to the ancient world listening and to, to us here today a bit about who Jesus is and what he came to do, not only in the world, but in our lives. And as we explore this passage of Jesus being the, the good shepherd, we're going to see that there's a, a great invitation for all of us here today. An invitation to follow the one who, who lays his life for us. Now in this illustration, Jesus uses the, uh, the image of a shepherd to describe himself and the image of sheep to describe us. And both, both descriptions reveal something about our nature and the very nature of Jesus. Now it's been said in, in the past that, that sheep are not the most intelligent animals. But that's not entirely true. Sheep at their very core have this instinct to, to follow. They have this flock mentality where they have this, this instinct to want to follow others, even if it's leading them astray. And so even if uh, one sheep wanders off into the woods, others will, will naturally follow it, even if it's leading it to danger, because that's what sheep do. And what often gets mistaken as a lack of intelligence is really this deep, deep desire of needing to be led. And it's this characteristic of sheep that makes them very similar to us as people. Because we too have this same desire of, of needing to be led. Us as people are naturally followers. A biology professor at the uh, University of Leeds named Jen Krauss conducted a study where she had a, a large group of people in this large hall and she asked them to, to walk randomly in this hall in just different directions however they saw fit. And she selected a, a few people to, that she gave a specific course for them to walk in this large hall among everyone else. And without being able to, to speak to anyone, without being able to gesture and, and staying in arm's length, apart, her findings in the study were remarkable. She concluded that in all cases of the study, the informed individuals, meaning the ones who were given a, a clear route, were followed by everyone else, forming this self-organizing snake-like structure. She said that we've all been in situations where we get swept, uh, swept away by the crowd. But what's interesting about this research is that our participants ended up making a consensus decision despite the fact that they weren't allowed to talk or gesture to one another. In most cases, the participants didn't realize they were being led by others. As people, we have this natural thing in us that wants to be, be led, where we naturally follow all sorts of different things in our world. We follow the, the news we watch, we follow the, the media we consume, we follow our, our political allegiance, the people we admire, or the people that we aspire to become like, the worldview in which we, we see the, the world around us. All of these things are, are formative movements that sweep us up and capture the attention of our heart and guide us and lead us and shape us whether we are aware of it or not. I have a friend who's, uh, who's serving a, a lengthy prison sentence. And before uh, going to prison, he had a group of friends who in, in his mind were his closest friends. They were his allies and they were the, the largest influence in his life. And they were the, the individuals who led him to, to commit this, this crime that he did. But interestingly enough, after he was imprisoned and sentenced, none of these people were, were around to, to be involved in his life, to visit him or to, to write letters or anything like that. 
And his story is a, is a pretty intense one, but it makes the point that all of us tend to, to be led by things that ultimately don't lead us well. Even good and beautiful things like a, a meaningful career, a beautiful family, uh, a healthy body can all be things that, that lead to disappointment rather than a, a rich and flourishing life. For so many of us, we tend to live with if-only statements in our mind, where we have a, a certain picture of what happiness, what contentment, what joy, what life is supposed to look like. And we aspire to, to certain things to try and give us the, the life and the contentment and the peace and the joy that we so desperately long for. We think, if only I can get into the, the right program, I'll be, I'll be good. If only I can find the, the right partner for my life. If only I can get that, that job that I've been wanting that, that pays that, that right amount. And we have these, these if-only things that we, we build in our mind. But what tends to happen with that type of thinking is when a, when a goal or a dream is realized, the goalpost for contentment, peace, and satisfaction just moves that much further and further away. So we get that dream job that we've been longing for, and all of a sudden after a while, discontentment starts to rise, and we start thinking, man, I, need a, I wish it was a, a different job. We eventually find that home that we've been longing for, and then it's, I wish I had a bigger one, and so on and so on. And we find ourselves on the, the treadmill of life, forever aspiring for more and more, never satisfied, but always longing, always hungry, always thirsty, and never finding satisfaction, life, joy, or contentment. And in verse 10 of this passage, Jesus uses the image of a, of a thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy, and later on the image of a wolf to describe all of the things that fight for our heart, all of the things that try and offer up a, a facade, a false sense of, of life before our eyes, all the things that, that fight for our heart. And in contrast, he says, I came that people might experience life, not just any regular life, but life abundantly, life to the full. As you think about your own life and your own story, what is your if-only statement? What do you hold and what are you dreaming? What are you aspiring to, to one day achieve? Maybe it's a, a career, maybe it's a, a, a spouse, maybe it's a, a financial target. What is your, your if-only statement? Jesus in this passage would invite all of us to ask the question, who or, or what are you following and where is it leading you? He goes on in verse 10 to, to say, in the second half of verse 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But in contrast, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And the second half of verse 10 is at the very core of what Jesus came to, to do in our world and what he longs to offer each of us here today. It's his grand picture of life, of a full, rich life. And the life... The life that Jesus describes in this passage is not just the, the breath that we have in our lungs, this biological life that all of us are living right now, but it describes the, the quality of life that I think all of us really, really want. A life where there's contentment, where there's peace, where there's joy, where we experience a sense of, of coming alive to our, our true selves, the people that God intended us to become. And this life not only describes the quality of life in the here and now, but it also describes life in the world to come. It describes the life that we'll experience when we take our final breath in this world and move into eternity forever in friendship with God as followers of Christ. 
It's this type of life that Christ came to, to offer each of us. He describes himself as being the, the good shepherd. Now, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say that I'm the, I'm the good king or I'm the, the good emperor, but he intentionally uses the title of being the, the good shepherd. And his choice of, of title reveals a, a little bit more of, of what he longed to reveal about himself to those who were listening. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, God's people were in a really dark time in their history. Because of sin and not living into the, the people that they were created to be, they were taken captive by a, a foreign nation. And in this really difficult time of their story as a nation, God promised one day that he would bring about hope, that restoration would come and that he would come to gather them together as his people. And in Ezekiel 34, God makes this promise to his people that we read earlier. God says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And then down to verse 15, God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. God had promised to be a, a shepherd to his people. And here in the Gospel of John is Jesus declaring to the world, I am the good shepherd. In other words, saying that I am the one that Ezekiel and so many others in the scriptures have written about. I am the one who has come to, to restore and to gather all that has been lost, to bring about hope for humanity, and to bring about a fullness of life. And he doesn't just say that he is a shepherd, but he says he is the, the good shepherd. That at the very heart of what Christ came to do is to express the very goodness of the heart of God. You know, when we were up at that sheep ranch, I learned that owning sheep in and of itself doesn't make you a shepherd. So if you leave here this day and you go and buy 100, 100 sheep, you're not a shepherd. But what makes you a, a shepherd is, is your heart and your posture towards your sheep. In the same way that having children doesn't necessarily make you a parent, but it's your love and your affection and your posture towards your children that make you a parent. And a shepherd exists primarily for the sake of their sheep. A shepherd's sole existence is to, to seek the well-being of its sheep, to, to lead it to water, to lead it to pasture, to provide its security, its protection, to ensure that its sheep are fully content and fully happy. And this is the, the nature of Christ himself, where he comes to exhibit the, the goodness of God and how we live our lives and what he comes to, to offer us. Jesus says, I am the, the good shepherd. Now, it's, it's interesting that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It's a pretty bold statement. How does he, how does he come to, to say this and reveal this about himself? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, Isaiah writes these words. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. Isaiah paints this picture that all of us are like sheep in the sense that we wander constantly from the life that God longs for us. That because of sin and our decision to, 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 to live lives according to our own standard, we constantly push away God and push away other people. And like sheep, we've, we've wandered off. But he goes on to say that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He, being Christ, was oppressed, was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Christ is able to declare that he is the good shepherd because he is the one who has entered into our world. God himself entering into the, 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 the being of a human, taking on our skin and suffering on our behalf on the cross. And the cross is this great place of not only forgiveness being taken place, where we receive forgiveness for all of our, our shortcomings and all of our flaws, but it's this great exchange where we experience the, the life of Jesus himself being offered to us. The life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the, the second coming of Christ himself gives Jesus the authority to make this bold statement about who he is as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. In the ancient world, shepherds would gather their sheep at night and and put them in a pen or a a cave of some sort to to keep them safe in the evening. And they would lay their bodies and sleep along the the entranceway as a way to declare to any predator, any threat, if you want to touch my sheep, you have to go through me first. And similarly, Jesus, the the good shepherd, longs to, to offer us that same sense of security and life and wholeness that God, that's found in a relationship with, with God. And it's found in himself. You know, sheep won't rest and they won't sit down and they won't lie down until they are completely hydrated, well-fed, until they, until they feel completely safe. It's only then that they'll, they'll lay down and find rest for themselves. And similarly, it's to all of us who find ourselves longing for rest to all of us that, that long for contentment, to all of us who looked to feel satisfied with who we are as people and the people that God created us to be, that Jesus declares to us, I am the good shepherd. He says, I lay down my life. I lay down my life and I offer it up so that you might be able to pick it up and experience this abundant, rich life that I came to offer. And the question becomes, what does this look like for our lives? If Jesus really is the, the good shepherd, if he really is who he says he is, then how do we lean into it? How do we follow him as our shepherd? What does it mean to, to follow him? Well, he tells us in verse 14, where he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The sheep know the voice of their shepherd, When they're out in the field and they hear the voice of their shepherd, they recognize it and they move accordingly to the the call of their shepherd. And similarly, all of us are invited to know the voice of Jesus, to know it so intimately that it leads us in every moment of our lives. Before we were were dating, my wife Amber and I, we, we knew of each other, but we didn't really know each other. But when we started making our relationship official through, through dating, we started to, to spend time asking each other questions, getting to know each other, and, and trying to move past that superficial relationship that we had before. And it's a process that's continued on into our marriage where we're, every day we're continuously discovering and rediscovering each other. And this process of, of knowing one another continues on and will continue on for the rest of our marriage. And like any relationship, a lot of us know people, and then we, we sorry, a lot of us know of people And then we really know some people. And similarly, Jesus invites us not to just know of him or know about him, but to truly know him. To see his heart, to hear his voice, and to recognize his leading in the everyday moments 
of life. To follow Jesus, our good shepherd, we must get to know him really well. And here are two ways that I want to suggest for us to to learn to recognize his voice for ourselves. The first is to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. To immerse ourselves in the scriptures. Now, the the Bank of Canada is uh, is Canada's central national bank. And when uh, when Bank of Canada agents are are processing money, they're trained to, to be able to detect counterfeit bills. As they come across bills and handle it, they, they're, they're trained to be able to detect a counterfeit compared to the real thing. And in their training, they spend so much time with a, a real bill, learning the, the different watermarks, being able to touch it and feel it, and to learn all the intricate details of a bill that they can spot a fake like that. On the screen behind me, can anyone guess which is the real and which is the fake? Phil. You think the first one's the real one? All right, let's see the answer. Next slide. 50 bucks to you. You can collect it from Ryan at the end of the service. Well done. But there's a sense in which these, these agents, they, they know the, the real thing, they know a fake by spending so much time with the real thing. And similarly, the, the scriptures serve as, as God's love letter to us. And this, this book reminds us of the, the God we worship, of what he's like, of what his heart is like, of what his characteristics are like. And it reminds us of who we are and, and the story, the, the grand story that all of our lives are a part of. And it's as we immerse ourselves in this story and we recognize the, the, the God, this good shepherd that we're talking about, that we discover more of, of what he's like and what his voice sounds like. So that when these, these thieves or these, these wolves, these things try and fight for our heart, we're able to, to recognize a, a fake from the true thing. We immerse ourselves in this story of the scriptures. That's why the, the psalmist declares in Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me. The psalmist has been able to detect the, the truth from all the lies that would try and fight for his heart. We know the voice of Jesus by immersing ourselves in the scriptures. And the second way is to commit ourselves to, to prayer. To commit ourselves to prayer. You know, research has found that when a, a child is in a, a mother's womb, it learns to not only recognize the heartbeat, but learns to recognize the, the voice of its mother. The voice of the, the mother becomes synonymous with, with love, with safety, with, with protection. So much so that even after a child is born, if they hear their mother's voice, there's research that shows that parts of their brain will light up to, to signify this, these feelings of, of safety and protection and, and love that they experienced in the womb. And similarly, prayer is this great gift that God extends to us where we're invited to, to enjoy communication with our maker. Scripture promises us that we're able to bring all of the anxieties, all the worries of our heart, and to, to offer them up to God. And the promise is that he, he hears them. And not only that, but he longs to, to respond to us, to speak to us. Now, in my, in my faith journey, I haven't had the privilege of hearing the, the voice of God audibly in my own story, but I know many other people who have. But for me, what it's looked like to, to hear the voice of the, the Good Shepherd is in those moments when I make space in my day to, to make space for silence. When I quiet out all the, the noises and the distractions of my life and all the noises and distractions that, that are even in my own mind, 
and I make space just to, to sit in silence before God. And I make the, the simple, gentle acknowledgement that, God, I'm, I'm here. And while I haven't heard any sort of audible voice from heaven, I felt the impression of God's spirit whispering to my heart that he is there, that his care and his love and his affection are for me. And it's as we make space to not only speak to God in prayer, but to actually make space to listen, that we learn what it means to, to hear the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd. Now, reading the, the scriptures and, and making space in prayer might not sound like revolutionary new ideas to you if you've been in church before. But I think that's the point of it, that these, these simple gifts of, of prayer and scripture are what we commit ourselves to and we immerse ourselves in them as a way to, to recognize the voice of Jesus, our good shepherd, the one who desires to offer us this rich, full, and abundant life. Pastor and author Tim Keller says this. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our own self-righteousness, and it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. We commit ourselves to, to be people who, who understand the scriptures and immerse ourselves in, in prayer and, and listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd because we so desperately need to know that we are loved beyond measure, that our lives matter, that our, life, our lives are, 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 are far more than what we see around us in our circumstances and the environments facing us, that we are deeply loved by our maker. Psalm 23 is a, is a well-known passage that I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with. And Psalm 23 describes someone who has found the abundant life in a, in a life with God. And this person in Psalm 23 is able to make bold statements like, I shall not want. And my soul is restored and I will fear no evil. And the person here is able to come to this point of deep rest and peace, not because of their own efforts or their own merit or because the danger and the predators have been eliminated from their lives. No, this rest is available because of the loving presence of a caring shepherd. And I would love for my own life to, to come to a place to say, God, I, I don't want. I would love to say one day in the, in the, at the core of my very being, I will not fear. And it's as we lean into the, the, the voice of the good shepherd that calls us to this abundant and rich life that we start moving towards the, the experience that Psalm, the psalmist here experiences in Psalm 23. If you find yourself here overwhelmed by life, fighting to know the, the way forward and, and all that is thrown at your way, if you find yourself anxious, scared of the future, then I think you find yourself in the, in the position like all humanity, longing for God to enter in and do something about it. And it's to all of the desires of our heart that the God of the universe says, I am the good shepherd. And I have come so that you might not experience death, destruction, and pain, but so that you might experience life and life to the full. And it's found in me, in my leading, and in my presence.